What up, everybody? I'm Tyler. This is Danny. And this is Fried Squirms. And we are way past near dark right now. It's dark outside, but we're going to talk about some near dark here in just a little bit. What episode number is this? This is 148. We're coming so fucking close to 150. Creeping up on it. So, we might not know for sure what we're doing next week, but we know what we're doing for 150. So, if y'all want to start getting ready now, it doesn't matter that it's going to be beginning of February. It's going to be midsummer all up in this apartment so well yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun and having the people who joined us at the theater it's gonna be fun too having them here in the studio i'm super excited i think it's gonna be a fun time i think so it's too. a fun group so shit how was your week pretty laid back didn't do a whole heck of a lot i guess the one big thing i did do was switch my care providers mm-hmm. for our medical supply so i did that i'm very happy with the switch and as a part of that I did bring along some new treats. Ooh, some new green hits. Yeah, because I got the same old, same old. I got to re-up this week, so I ain't got nothing new to bring to the table. But what are we about to hit here today? Okay, so I brought three strains over with me, one being a hybrid, and that is the Purple Rosé. So for people who are not familiar, it's a mostly indica dominant of the hybrids. It's a cross between Purple Punch and Skittles, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and then it's derived from like 16 different phenotypes as well. So mm-hmm. pretty smooth one. It has more of a floral aroma, kind of has a little florally taste as well. I like it. It's kind of a mid-range, like 18% or roughly. I also brought over this super lemon haze, sativa, Ooh. super lemony. So, dude, as soon as you opened that up, it was like, shit. I don't know. I was going to try to think of something lemony and I couldn't think of anything super lemony. Yeah, this particular one, as far as uh, your THC, it runs out to be about 29%, which is pretty high on that. Yeah, we're going to get fucking lit. (laughs) On that. And then my personal favorite, which was a huge draw, is I brought over some blueberry, which is an indica through and through. And one of my favorites definitely has that blueberry note, blueberry taste. Got it here in my vaporizer. The other two are in a joint form, so we'll get to try those out. The further along we get into the podcast. So I'll let you try a green hit of the blueberry. Blueberry, yum, yum, and it's that fire. Yeah, that's going to have me a sleepy boy, but it's tasty. (laughs) Yeah, like I said, it's one of my favorites. It's definitely a creeper, too, so we have to be a little bit careful. All right. It's okay. We got that lemon haze to even it out later. (laughs) Fuck. So excited, though. Near dark. 148. That's still just blowing my mind. I know, right? It's pretty awesome. But yeah, we chose a pretty good film for today. Well, let's get into the guts and bolts of it, then. How's that sound? Sounds groovy. Guts and bolts. Alright, guts and bolts. Near dark. God, start with the synopsis? Yeah, brief synopsis. So, Caleb, young farm boy, falls in with May and her, I'm using air quotes, family. Because, you know, he's a horny young farm boy. And ends up in a world where he may have to kill to survive. And I'm going to leave it that vague because we actually just rewatched one of the original trailers from back in the day and they left it just that vague. So Yeah, so I like that. It gives you just a little bit of a taste of what you're going to get yourself into. So week in and week out, we do like to talk about our cast and crew. And this week we actually have a very interesting director, just so happens to be a female director. And we are talking about Catherine Bigelow. So... I think people will probably know her more uh, notably for her more recent films, things like The Hurt Locker, which she won an Oscar for, which is really awesome. She's also responsible for the films Zero Dark Thirty and more recently the film Detroit. But if you go back, 
She actually co-helmed or co-directed the film The Loveless, which starred Willem Dafoe. And she's also done such things as Point Break. I always forget that she did Point Break. And Strange Days. So yeah, she's got some pretty notable films underneath her belt. I also went and saw K-19 Widowmaker in theaters. So I didn't think it was the greatest movie of all time, but it's just something I remember doing. Yeah, I mean, I did go see uh, Zero Dark Thirty in the Mm. theater, so not a bad film. All right, along with directing, she's also one half of the writing team. And along with writing we have eric red which is actually a gentleman we talked about before we talked about him on our 72nd episode and that was of the film the hitcher another one of those highly recommended he's also known for writing the screenplay for the films blue steel the film body parts and bad moon all right our cinematographer very noted dp and that gentleman is adam greenberg so i mean this guy's got an enormous body of uh films as far as dping for and when you start looking through some of his films, it's hard to name all of them because it'll blow your mind. But maybe one of note starting off very early would be the big red one. He's gone on on such films as The Last American Virgin. You might have seen his work on The Terminator. He was also the DP for the film Once Bitten, which is one I've oh, talked shit. about a lot. It's like, hell yeah. La Bamba, Three Men and a Baby, Alien Nation, Turner and Hooch, the film Ghost. Terminator 2. Toys. Yeah, Toys, Sister Act, Renaissance Man, First Night, Rush Hour, Inspector Gadget, The Santa Claus Part 2, Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this dude's got some really cool shit, so cool seeing him on this. All right, another person we've actually talked about before is our editor, Howard E. Smith. We've actually talked about him because of our 119th episode, and that was The Collector. Okay. Yeah, and so if you want to know more about his filmography, you can check out our Collector episode. All right, move along. We have music composed by Tangerine Dream, which is a huge draw. That's crazy. Yeah, so they were known as a German electronic music band. They were founded in 1967, and along with, like, kind of pioneering that synthesized sound. Yeah, exactly. So... I'll name some of their films, and I'll definitely mention that one. So, Some of the films that they helped compose the music for include the films Sorcerer, Thief, Risky Business, The Keep, Firestarter, Legend, Three O'Clock High, which is actually a really good comedy from the 80s, <laughs> Shy People, and Miracle Mile. You were pointing because you have the poster of Grand Theft Auto V, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, so... Three, the soundtrack for that. Just like I said, Pioneers in Electronic, what they called Cosmish, which is cosmic music. Um, mm. So yeah, it's pretty awesome seeing them on here. All right, special effects was done by Derek Howard and Gordon J. Smith. This was produced by Stephen Charles Jaffe. Production companies were FM and Near Dark Joint Venture. The distributor was the De Laurentiis Entertainment Group. It was responsible for the 1987 United States theatrical release. Release dates, it was released on September 12th, 1987. This was at the Toronto International Film Festival in Canada. And here in the States on October 3rd, 1987 in New York City. It had an estimated budget of about $5 million and it grossed right around $3.4 million. I have a few taglines two of them specifically i might mention a third one a little bit later on because i kind of like it too but one i have is they can only kill you once but they can terrify you forever okay which is decent all right and the second one a little bit more long-winded but it says at dawn they hide at dark they wake at night they search for blood pray for daylight 
There's one other one I want to bring up just because they used it in the trailer and it actually stood out to me and I had it already in my notes because when they say it in the movie and it's the night has its price. Yeah, which is pretty dope. I like that one too. All right. So that rounds out our crew. I'll move on and talk about our cast and I'll lead off with Adrian Pastar. He plays the role of Caleb Colton. And for people who do or do not know Adrian, he's known for such films as Top Gun. He was actually written into the script, his character was, because they liked his performance in terms of his audition. Uh, he went on and done such things as Solar Babies. You might have seen him in such films as Carlito's Way. He was also in film Feds, House of Frankenstein 1997. I know he was in Judging Amy for quite a few whole, seasons. He was in the last two seasons. Uh, that's probably the first place I saw him. Which is really interesting. Um, I really like the guy, actually. He was also, uh, he has a recurring role in Supergirl as well the past couple seasons. Yeah, I saw so. that. So, I mean, some other people might know him as uh, Nathan Petrelli on Heroes. He also oh, and helped, that. Yeah. Like Heroes, or the first season at least. He was actually the voice of Iron Man in some of the uh, Marvel anime. Some of those series included the Ultimate Spider-Man and Avengers Assemble, and it said that he also had a recurring role as Glenn Talbot on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was really interesting, yeah. So, um, like I said, he got his, his wealth in uh, some TV stuff, which is really cool. All right, moving along, we have actress Jenny Wright. She plays the role of May. And some of her notable things include the films The World According to Garp, which is a really good film. She was also in Pink Floyd, The Wall, the film, which is also a pretty interesting thing of note. She was also in the films St. Elmo's Fire, a film I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. It's a film entitled The Chocolate War. Really good film. She was in the 1989 film Twister, which mm. our friend Patrick has a really interesting story about that one. <laughs> She was also in The Lawnmower Man, and I think her last film, and then she got out of the industry, she was in a film entitled Enchanted, and some people might know her because she was also in NYPD Blue. Okay. Yeah, so really cool seeing her in this. All right, gentlemen, we've talked about before, actually a couple of times, and that's Lance Henriksen. He plays the role of Jesse Hooker. So for those who are not familiar, uh, you can check out our episode 135 because we covered Pumpkinhead, and we also talked about him briefly because he was... Uh, in Hannibal season one, which mm -hmm. we talked about all three seasons, and that episode is uh, episode forty for us. And uh, I guess some other things we can probably maybe briefly mention about Lance is he's got a gigantic fucking filmography. Oh my gosh! All right, uh, he's definitely been Bishop in the Alien film franchise. He was Frank Black in the television series Millennium. I mean, he's done some video game stuff as far as voice acting. Just a body of wealth, especially in horror as well. I mean, he's a genre actor, mm -hmm. so you've seen him in sci-fi, comedies, things like that, horror films, things of that nature. So, yeah, once again, awesome that he's in this film. All right, moving along, we have Bill Paxton, another gentleman we're not unfamiliar with because we've talked about him on episode 46, our episode of Frailty, but he does play the role of Severn in this film. And uh, Bill Paxton, more notable as a character actor, I think of like Weird Science as one. I mean, he's, he's been mm -hmm. in Aliens. He was in uh, Terminator. <laughs> I mean, he was killed by a predator. I think a lot of people know his more notable on-screen kills, which is really cool. Moving along, we have Jeanette Goldstein. She plays the role of Diamondback in this film. Some people might know her because she was Vasquez in the film Aliens. She was also in Terminator Part 2, Judgment Day. And she was also in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which mm -hmm. is really awesome. 
All right, moving along, we have Joshua John Miller. He plays the role of Homer. We've talked about him briefly because he was one of the kids in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Oh, shit. Yeah, he was one of Tom Atkins' kids that was wearing the mask in the film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking weird. Yeah, I know we mentioned that briefly because he's also the half-brother of Jason Patrick, who was in The Lost Boys, and mm-hmm. his father is Jason Miller, who played Father Damien in The Exorcist. So I know that's why we brought him up. But some other films that Josh was known for is a film I highly recommend, The, the River's Wizard Edge. Of Gore. Well, no, <laughs> not quite. He was in The River's Edge with Keanu Reeves. He was in it with Dennis Hopper, Chris Penn, like really good 80s film. Uh, he was also in the film Teen Witch, mm-hmm. another one of those uh, pretty quirky comedies. But yeah, right, he was also in the 2007 version of Wizard of Gore, which actually is not a bad film. It's a little surreal Given, in a lot of ways. I mean, we should probably get around to that at some point, given our start with... Yeah, I know, right? Montag. Mm-hmm. The Magnificent. <laughs> All right. Love Montag. Which is really awesome. Okay, moving along, we have actor Tim Thomerson. He plays the role of Loy Colton, which is Caleb's father in this film. Now, Tim has some really cool roles because I think most notably he's famous for his role as Jack Death in The Transfers. I don't know, there's like five or six of those films. But he's also known for a lot of television roles as well. So I went back. He was known for doing a lot of films with Richard Pryor, believe it or not. Such things as like Car Wash. He was in Mork and Mindy for an episode, which is really you know interesting. He was in the film Fate of Black, which is another really interesting like indie horror film. He was in uh, 100 television series, which is really cool. Iron Eagle. Yeah, who's Harry Crumb, which is really interesting. Evil Bong. Yeah, I saw that, like, some stuff more recently. He was also in Walker, Texas Ranger, Xena, Warrior Princess, shit like that. So, yeah, some really interesting stuff. I know you guys recently talked about Superman mm-hmm. on GN, but he was also in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Oh, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, really interesting. All right, moving along, we have Marcy Leeds. She plays the role of Sarah Colton, which is Caleb's younger sister in this okay. film. Okay. She was also in the films When the Bell Breaks. She was in the film Beaches, which is one of my sister Ashley's favorite films. And she was also in the film Wheels of Terror. All right, I've got a few more actors, and that kind of rounds out our cast and crew. All right, the next person I have is Troy Evans. I had him marked down. He's been in a wealth of films, another one of those character he's Frank actors. Frank ER. <laughs> this is what really blew my mind. More so than that, he's from Missoula. What? Yeah, he was born here in Missoula, went to Flathead High, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know Frank was from here. He's not ever going to be Troy Evans to me. He's Frank because I've watched way too much ER. But right, but I just like um, what the fuck? Yeah, he's been in some really cool shit, man. Like I said, some pretty interesting films. Uh, I think he was in like an Ace Ventura. Yeah, things like that. I know he's in some television series, you know, from the eighties and nineties and so forth. But yeah, just like I said, a character actor and some he's, pretty prominent roles too. I mean, uh, he's in the film. Christopher is. Lloyd, my favorite Martian from 1999. Yeah, actually, it's a pretty decent film, man. It's not bad. It just kind of blew my mind when I saw that. All right, uh, next person I have written down is uh, Roger Aaron Brown. He plays the role of the Cajun truck driver. Do you think him being from Missoula explains why he was in Twin Peaks? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But yeah, because Table Lunch was born here. Yeah. That's crazy. All right, so Roger was in such films as Robocop Part Two. He was in the film Cobra. I think more recently he was in the film Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. 
Like I said, he's also done some voice work in the Assassin's Creed video games because he was uh, Achilles Davenport, which I thought was really interesting. So cool that he's in this film. I've got two more actresses, and there's some actors that kind of pop up in this uh, film I'll make mention of too, which is interesting because we've talked about him before. James Legros. Yeah, James Legros is in this. We've talked about him in our Phantasm Two episode in Leo Geeter. Mm-hmm who was in Silent Night, Deadly Night. And he was also in one of the um, Halloween films. I think it was part five, maybe? I think you're right. They were yeah. all, both in it for a total of about 15 seconds. Exactly. And I, I want to say that Troy was in one of the uh, Halloween films as well, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Yeah. I believe it. It was really neat. So the two actresses I do want to mention real briefly are uh, Neith Hunter. She was Lady in Truck. And the, the uh, other actress is Teresa Randall. She was the other Lady in Truck. But with Teresa Randall... People will probably know her because she was in such films as Malcolm X. She was in Beverly Hills Cop Part 3. She was in the film Bad Boys, which I believe she plays, I can't remember if it was Martin Lawrence's wife, I think, in the films, if I'm not mistaken. She was also in Space yeah. Jam, Spawn. So, yeah, she's been in some pretty cool roles, but like, she's just briefly in this film. She's Spawn's wife. Yeah. It's like it's just a real brief snippet that she's in it, but yeah, I have to bring them up. And she's reprised her role in all of the Bad Boys movies. Yeah. So she, Bad You'll Boys for Life again. just came out. Exactly. That's kind of insane. I think it's neat, man. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's our cast, our crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. Uh, we should give you some warnings because this film does warrant them. Language, gunplay, yeah, there's some gore, gore violence. Some gore, blood, violence, all that good stuff. Not the worst gore, but there's no, gore. And there's it's... Uh, some gunplay. Mm-hmm. You know? You're trying not to give it away, huh? Yeah, without trying to give too much away. I mean, you probably already know if you're listening to our Near Dark episode, but we're going by the trailer rules. Yeah, Trailer didn't give it away. It has some high-speed chasing, I suppose, a little bit. (laughs) But, I mean, yeah, that's about the extent we can go, I guess. Yeah, let's just get into how it made us squeal. That's going to be a lot easier to talk about it then. How does that make you squeal? Alright, we got the J going. We can talk about Near Dark without worrying about spoilers. It's a vampire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it really has an interesting thing to note is the fact that it never mentions the word vampire not once in this entire film. Oh, shit, you're right. Yeah, there's no mention of of vampirism as a whole. It's always alluded to. Yeah, it's just shit's wrong. Oh, shit, that's crazy. I wouldn't have noticed that, but it's a fucking vampire movie. Like, let's not kid ourselves. (laughs) Exactly. It's also, what the fuck... How has this movie been missing from my life? I know, dude, right? This is one of my top vampire movies now. How did I not know this movie was a fucking western? Dude, see, that's the joy of discovering or rediscovering films like this, is that they didn't have, like, huge successes when they came out. This, this was one a flop. First, Yeah, this one for some obvious reasons, which we'll delve into, but this one did fly underneath the radar for a long time, and if you didn't have cable in the later 80s, early 90s, you would have missed this film because HBO wound up scooping it up after it had that flop at the theater. So, you know, home release and the video market kind of did this film a little bit of justice because it uh, definitely developed a cult following. I feel bad because I feel like this is one that I should have seen at some point. But you know how it is. Like, we've talked about it before sometimes. It's just, you just didn't ever end up in a time to watch it. That's true. I mean, and I never really did, and now I'm really sad that I haven't had years and years with this movie because it even improved for me upon the second watch. Like, it's awesome. It wasn't a fucking just one time. Like, oh, that was cool. Like, I got even more out of it the second time. 
It was a great fucking movie. What the hell? Why aren't more people talking about this vampire movie? <laughs> I totally agree with you, and that's why I'm glad we're getting to talk about it. Try to do a little bit of justice. Hot take, at least the first half of this movie is the better Doctor Sleep. I agree. That's a good point. Very solid point. <laughs> so yeah, this is one... I was thinking about this earlier, too, on my way over, because I know we talk about our histories with film from time to time, and this one I don't have like a long history with. I think I discovered it more so in those mid-2000s once again, and it's because it, it had that cult following status. It was one of those vampire films that didn't really get talked about a whole heck of a lot outside of the horror community, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, I wound up catching it one time, and I was like, man, yeah, I mean... It's got your familiar faces, it's an interesting take on the genre, and it blends a different genre with it. Maybe my favorite Lance Henriksen? I can see that. He kills Maybe it. Maybe my favorite Bill Paxton. <laughs> There's a lot to say about Paxton in this film. <laughs> Paxton is everything in this film. <laughs> he was meant for that role. It's so good. Severin is so fucking over the top it's amazing yeah he chews all the scenery it's so good <laughs> yeah he knocked it out of the park without a doubt yeah lance hendrickson does a killer job as jesse and there's a lot of reasons for that too which once again we'll delve into jenny wright is a snack Ooh, isn't she though good night uh, maybe favorite adrian pazdar <laughs> i was like i can't think of anything and it's no discredit to him of course but he does a good job. you got to think, too, this was like a very early role for him, too. He mentioned, too, he's only like 21, 22 when he got this part. Mm -hmm. So we have to take that in, into consideration a little bit. But, yeah, everybody does Paxton's a really good job. Paxton's the iffiest on favorite, I think. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah. frailty. That's a very solid point. But as far as, like, a role like this, I can't think of a better role he's done in that particular manner to this magnitude. Yeah. I mean, he's done some good stuff. I like a lot of shit he's in, but oh boy, a Severn, he's awesome. So, I guess as we really get into the movie, though, starts off, Caleb's hanging out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. I immediately identify with this movie, because I know what it's like to be out in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. <laughs> Sees May, wow, he comes on strong. Right. We do have to note that one of those guys that he bumps into, one of his buddies, is Leo Geeter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you're right, they point out May in the distance. And there are a couple things, second time, maybe a third time through that, it's interesting to note because the way that they do it's clever. And it's the introduction to May is what I'm alluding to. Do you feel like, was she hunting him? Absolutely. I guess is what, I guess is what, the, what I'm going to end up asking. Do you I, think I, she I was think on 100%. the hunt or do you think she already got done? Well, I thought for sure she was hunting him. And then the second time through... Or after having seen it once and watching again the second time through, I'm wondering if maybe she had already fed and she was feeling kind of lonely. And that's why she was having like the ice cream and shit. Like, I mean, I could see she that She was too. kind of like in her feelings about missing being human and shit, which is why she didn't kill him and feed him again. Right, right. I mean, it's definitely open to that interpretation because there is that ambiguity there. I do think it was a part of the hunt, but what phase of the hunt? Right. Yeah, I can go. Or I how committed that. she was to this particular hunt. Yeah, yeah. And but you're right. He comes on super strong. I think it's partially time period for sure. I do want to say I feel like in this movie more than a lot of others, 
especially after you've seen it one time, you kind of understand that at least in this movie, it's like supposed to be the shorthand for like, by the way, they're really into each other now. Yeah. Because we don't have time to give them 30 minutes of falling in love with each other. Right. We have other shit they're, to tell. Yeah, they have to keep a certain beat rhythm to this film, yeah. However, I mean, in retrospect, with how fucking not great it comes off now. <laughs> yeah. Especially with, like, his shit of, like, just, like, stopping the rig and fucking... No, not until you kiss me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel like maybe would have been safer to do a montage. <laughs> yeah, I could She see had it. the line, they're not leaving right away, that they were going to be in town for a couple days. So you could do a montage of them meeting up the next couple nights... And then just have it, like, really subtly in the background that, like, people started dying around town. Yeah, I could see that. People start disappearing. But it's also just not something that was on people's minds at the time. Like, it's just time period. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've watched how many movies like this? (laughs) There's been a few. This one did remind me a lot. And this is how I know for sure this was Eric Redd writing as well. It was just the pacing, a little bit of the feel the grittiness of it a little bit does feel a little bit like The Hitcher. You know, of course, they're two separate films, but it does have a little bit of that feel to it, if that makes sense. Whether it's aesthetically, maybe, because of the setting, perhaps. The setting definitely helps, and especially with so much of it being on the road. Basically on the road. It's a very road movie. It is. As well as being a Western. So how fucked up would it have been? I mean, it ends up kind of fucked up anyway, that they basically just steal him away from his life and they've turned him into a vampire. But how frightening would it have been for him if they wouldn't have picked him up at all? Oh, yeah. If he would have just set on fire and exploded in that fucking field without ever (laughs) fucking knowing why. That would have been horrifying because his family were a witness to it if that were the case. I was sitting there for a second. I'm like, is this why it's a cult classic? Is it super fucked up? And is he's just going to go there? Yeah. yeah it's like, is he just going to die in front of his family and then it's going to cut back and it's going to be the story about the outlaws and this was just like a cold open? <laughs> yeah, that would have been really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what I seriously fuck? thought that that might have been what's about to happen. But right, no. It didn't happen that way. Well, I still wasn't expecting them just to fucking swoop in and grab his ass, though, too. That was still super unexpected. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, we get our introduction to the family at that point. You already got Bill Paxton delivering solid lines. I think one of my favorite lines that he does have eventually, I don't know how far it is down the road, but he talks about, it's not about what's going on, it's about what's going off. Your face, clean off. (laughs) I like that line a lot. Paxton is fucking everything in this movie. Every time he's on screen. It's gold, man. He really got into that role. Pure fucking gold. Kind of wish Homer would have sold it more. Yeah. He was still relatively young, but yeah. And I get it. It's hard for an actual young kid to play someone old stuck in a young kid's body because they don't have that life experience. Right. Not to mention it's just child actors tend not to be as great anyway because they're, I mean, they just don't have the experience in general. And when you stack him up next to the likes of Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton and Jeanette and so forth and such it's like yeah i mean he did what he could do and it wasn't bad it just wasn't like overwhelming or nothing i didn't notice it as much the first time through but the second time through when i realized how important homer is to the situation that they find themselves in because homer's this old fucking man (laughs) yeah 
And we don't know how old either. We don't know how old. Stuck in this little kid's body. And <laughs> yeah. they set it up in the beginning. Do you know how much it sucks to hear about it every night? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they mentioned it a few times. He was the one that turned May mm-hmm. and taught her. And now she's trying to split off and be with some other guy. Right. And so and he's ooh. jealous. And his corresponding death at the end of the movie is given the screen time it deserves for how important his role is in all of this. Absolutely, dude. But the acting doesn't quite back Yeah, up. yeah. That is kind of a hard thing to portray. I think it's a good point. And it's it, super hard. I don't know who could have done it better, but or at least during that time period, because yeah. I don't know who the child actors were <laughs> in 1987. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to go back. But you're right. I mean, it, he did what he, you know, what he could do and what he could bring, and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't anything of like prominence or too much note, you know. And that's he doesn't do such a bad job. That no, he, he has some good moments. He doesn't do a bad job acting. No, everything fits in. He just didn't quite do the job he needed to do to convey the importance of how important the fucking role was i guess yeah i don't know it's not totally bad i guess i had to pay a lot of attention to realize how important he was it was something i didn't catch the first time through and it's just because of the kid i guess right right and it's kind of weird to think of that too from that particular kid like thinking that he's supposed to be older than what he actually is portraying in the film Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because it is kind of eh, it's a little flat and the jealousy yeah i mean i understand a little bit there but but it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's more just said than felt in any way. Exactly. Yeah. You don't quite feel that emotion, I suppose. But overall, I do like the family dynamic. One thing I wanted to note, and mm-hmm. like I said, it's watching films like this is I, they do it kind of clever in the writing as well, which is interesting. Is some of the things that she first says, and that's me I'm talking about when she encounters Caleb, is he asks her for a bite of her ice cream. And she gives a one-word reply. She's like, bite? Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm dying, blah, blah, blah. She's like, dying? And it's like, okay, it's just clever. It starts off with him getting bit by a mosquito, right. which is pretty much setting up the entire film. I read, or it was noted that Bigelow raised that mosquito because she didn't want the off chance to have a contamination from a real wild oh, mosquito. Yeah. So cheap. So it was used purposely for that shot. I was like, wow, that's dedication. <laughs> you know what? We don't need to get into... It's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to get into the details of mosquito husbandry. I know it's wild, but... I like This is kind of interesting, because it's noted a little bit later on that Caleb, he gets sick when he eats candy. So would reason that she wasn't really eating that ice cream. I oh, think she was using it as bait. Okay. I don't think I paid attention to that And part. I was like, that's kind of clever, because it's not something that... You think about necessarily she consciously. Just to be doing something with their mouth. Yeah, it's like, ooh, what that mouth do? <laughs> Can I get a lick? But it worked. I was, but point being, yeah, it's like it's interesting because two minutes on screen, I'm like, I'm in love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know they they have that little chemistry. He tries to get her to, I guess, ride a horse. Mm-hmm. Horse ain't having it, right? And then he louses her, and she shows off her strength, right? And then they have like their back and forth. And then she gets nervous because she has to be back by dawn, and he's joking with her, and then they have the kiss and the bite. And what I liked about that sequence is how the score is implemented, or how it kind of ratchets the scene, sets the tone, the mood. I was like, the score is really well done in this, man. 
Yeah. And it fits right into like that eighties vibe as well. So it's it's one of those pieces I thought was really well. When he's first heading back to his place and they go through the field, might as well bring it up now since we're in that spot of the movie, but they end up reusing that a few times through the movie, that image of somebody having to try to return back home through that field. Mm-hmm. It's true. And it's just really well done how things loop back in on themselves. There's some kind of really obvious kind of Chekhov's guns in this movie, but the way that it all makes sense that it loops back around, I think is one of the more ingenious parts of it. Cause it doesn't feel cheap. It feels, Oh, that was clever. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. The writing is well done. They use clever devices to where it does make sense. You know, I fucking love the dad chewing out the cop. Like four minutes, nine or was it yeah. four hours, nine minutes ago down to the minute. Right. So what are you going to do about it? They were moving a flat 55. Be in the next Out, state yeah. by now. Which is true. <laughs> There's a moment, too, I think, that they have at the uh, police department. And the guy is like, that one of the police officers, like, turned his back, said who he's going to do, and they were to go out the door. <laughs> so you ain't going to do shit. So I know that you've seen, like, a lot of the different DVD and Blu-ray covers for this. Mm-hmm. Did you notice a certain change in them? Oh, yeah, for sure. Did you notice how much recent releases of this movie have tried to make it look like Twilight. It really does look like a teen romance kind of... Do you think there are people that have bought this movie? Not thinking it's actually connected to Twilight, but you know what I mean. But it has that kind of tone, maybe. Because the movie's been out so long, and it was a box office flop, even if it's a fucking cult classic. Usually if you're running across this movie now out in the wild especially those covers and not like a special release, then it's probably in like the $5 bin at Walmart, right? Well, no, because that one's out of print. Okay. Yeah, but... But But you know what I mean. I know what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. It would be one of those blind buys. It mm -hmm. could be. And you're like, oh, this looks like... like, It's $5 and it looks like Twilight, and I liked Twilight because I'm shopping in a $5 bin. It's like, yeah, I remember Lance Henriksen from this show or... Yeah, Bill Paxton was cool and Weird Science. and But look how lovey it looks. Yeah, and you're like... And then you get Bill Paxton. <laughs> it's like, mmm, sucker punch. Mmm, spurs across it, the it, face. It's such the best way, man. Yeah, all his bits are good, man. All right, so one thing to note, I think, as the film is kind of progressing, is when Caleb turns... You know, they're giving him a chance, is what they're essentially doing. A week to try to fit into the family. And as a part of that, he has to learn how to kill. And he's dealing with that morality issue. He's like, he doesn't want to kill. I was curious about this. Like, it sucks, but once you're a vampire, it's kind of like if you were to become a cat, right? Yeah, your instincts. Well, it's not even just instincts, but it's not a choice. Like, no matter what lifestyle choices I might make, I have to feed my cat animal protein. Because their bodies simply they need do it. not process plant protein. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. So once you're a vampire, it's like, this sucks, but I'm not even technically human anymore, right? Right, like, right. Yeah, this is... I'm not saying I'd be able to do it, but, <laughs> like, I'm trying to prepare myself now in case I ever become a vampire. Like, right, like, this this is not something that is an option. He's like, you either do or you don't, and if you don't, it's not good. Now, you can't enjoy what you used to eat. That's off the plate. I guess I just started thinking of it for myself. I'm like, how hard of a time do I think I'd have with it? Well, I, in a weird way, I was thinking, well, 
nutritionally, are you getting all of the things that you need out of blood? Because <laughs> you'd be kind of gaunt or just really frail, I would imagine. But I don't know. I mean, you're you're absorbing essence. I don't know all the inner workings. I was about to say you're at this point you're the living dead. So I think most known biology goes out the table anyway. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, we're already dealing with something <laughs> completely different. It was a little bit disappointing, but I also thought a little bit neat how little they used how superpowered vamp- being a vampire makes you. Yeah. Like there's a little bit thrown in, like when he punches the dude at the fucking at bar. The bar. Yeah. And then, like, later on with Bill Paxton ripping into the fucking big rig and shit. But I think a lot of movies, once they have vampires, they're tempted to use the fact that they're vampires a lot. Right, right. Kind of overindulge. Overindulge. I can see in the dark. I'm going to make it perfectly clear because we're going to save a lot of money by just setting this in a pure dark room and I'm going to describe what I'm seeing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or, like... Instantly showing up at places because they go super speedy or using their super strength to like break through doors and shit. But this, we just get these real subtle things here or there where they're already being violent anyway. Yeah. And would have been violent to a large, you know, an extreme degree, but <laughs> toned yeah. up. All right. Since we're kind of talking about that bar scene a little bit, I like to lead into it. You know, you get the silhouette of them over like the ridge over that little hill line or whatever, going into the bar. It's like, I like that. That's kind of, this film is kind of noted for that a little bit, right? Certain images. Bigelow's a good director. She's made a she lot does. of really successful movies for a reason. Uh, yeah, and using, I think it was Greenberg for mm-hmm. the cinematographer, or the, yeah, the cinematographer was a wise choice. He said he had eight films at the time offered to him, and he chose this one. And he said he remembers it because it was one of the most fun for him to work on. He's like, he and Bigelow, they knew what they wanted to frame and how to tell the story based off the storyboard, etc. And so uh, it kind of shows they did a really good job. I mean, just the weird, not the humanity as in they're good people, but the humanity as in they're all seem to be living characters present within the vampire family. Really, in of itself, like how well Lance Henriksen done, how well... Bill Paxton does how well I can't remember her name. Diamondback does. Jeanette Goldstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Helps sell an extra emotional depth to this movie, especially with like you see these little sweet moments of fucking Ma and Pa vampires relationship, especially yeah. ratcheted up towards the end, and you get to see even her seem to have at least slightly second thoughts and give them a chance to get away from him just a couple minutes before that, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's moments where, and this is where I was going to say, is each, like Paxton, Henriksen, Goldstein, they talked about the fact that they really got into their characters and tried to give them a backstory. And I think we talked about a little bit with Henriksen, like how he likes to go out and find props and stuff mm-hmm. and add to his character. And they mentioned that too, like he bought all these different things, his, his nails and shit. He got applied, and they said he used like pliers to give him a little mangled look. Oh, shit. So, you know, he did little things, brought it to the table, gave his character a backstory. Mm-hmm. He kind of has a, a line about fighting for the South, and then later on he explains his backstory, which is really interesting. So, uh, yeah. But I think their ability to sell those emotional moments makes it so that, intended or not, you can see different ways this movie fulfills 
not just Western tropes, but tropes from other sort of family dramas we've seen. Mm-hmm. Like, this could just as easily be, like, him falling into addiction with a chick that unwittingly, you know, sort of brought him into it. Or, more with her storyline, it could be him being into this relationship with this chick who's in a really toxic family. Yeah. In which Homer would be kind of the creepy uncle. <laughs> yeah. It has those elements for sure, no doubt. I mean, I think it's because they sell the roles really well and just it emotionally seems to all click. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a lot, more, Especially a lot more than you tend to see in a vampire movie, I guess. Fair so. point. Yeah, for sure, man. Somewhere in there she says the night has its price and like I said, I just thought that was dope. So. Yeah, that's true. And, and I like that. Like It was like the inner goth in me. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. She has a lot of really deep-sounding, but kind of fakey lines in this movie. Yeah. But it, I don't know, it's weirdly endearing. (laughs) I had to write down fucking Chekhov's truck, because that instruction on how to make a fucking truck jackknife scene. Right, I mean, that was... That was the hunt, though. The hunt was kind of cool. I liked that entire montage. No, it was because it showed each one of the characters how Mm -hmm. they, they go and feed, and once again, Bill Paxson chews it up the way he hitchhikes. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this is really good. And even the kid, I mean, you know it's a setup. It's good. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. You know, Caleb having his moment. But you're right. I was like, all right, this is the moment where <laughs> all those instructionals pay off later on in the film. Big setup. But it's it's pretty cool, though, man. But then I think what it leads to is after May finished the, the guy off, he feeds back on her, right? There's like a drill in the background. There was two oil pumps. Right, right, right. And I was like, okay, it's definitely an entendre. It's definitely a double entendre because I think you can also use it as a metaphor. as like he's getting in deep now mm-hmm. because then it's like, all right, he needs to kill. He needs to kill now. And then that's when our guy, James LeGros, eventually escapes in the bar scene. But that bar scene, man, though, there's so much that's going on and so many good lines. Oh, my God. And it's mostly Bill Paxton. And All it's, around, it's it just starts great. off with him fucking with the guy at the bar. You think he's quelled the argument by making that Buffalo Bill joke, mm-hmm. and he's like, "No." He starts fucking with the guy once again. Gets Caleb involved, <laughs> which is funny. Gets Caleb beat, right? It's fucking great. All right, here's what I thought was really hit him a few more times. We're trying to teach stuff. I thought that yeah, all that stuff is good. It's it feels organic, feels natural. Adrian, the guy who played Caleb, said that. He was wearing squibs, mm. and he had never really done them before. And they gave him warnings. They were like, you know, you don't want to be leaning against a wall when these go off because it could, like, mm-hmm. shatter your ribs and whatnot, fuck up your lungs. And so, anyway, they were like, you know, don't breathe in or whatever because it'll fuck you up. But <laughs> he said that somebody on set, as it was happening, like, clapped in the background. And so he tensed up, and then oh, shit. it went off. And he said that scene that you see in the film, when he gets shot, He's actually like the the wind got knocked out of him, <laughs> and so it's kind of a natural oh, reaction. Funny. So I was like, yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah, but it looked good. It, it had a good payoff. It involves that awesome bar top scene. Yeah, that's so sick, dude. That whole thing. I'm I'm trying to remember. It. So much fucking happens because you also have fucking waitress's neck getting oh slit that is so cup. fucking good too it's pretty raw it's, that like felt kind of i can't kind of came away from this movie like does rob zombie like this movie because that felt kind of <laughs> something like otis a dude yeah. devil's rejects 
Yeah, it's very and then the shootout raw, later also yeah. feels pretty Devil's Rejects-y. I could see... And it also felt kind of Red State-y. I think some of it, too. But I think say, it's because uh, they're all drawing from the same inspiration. Right, Not right. so much that they inspired each other. You could definitely compare certain films to this as well. I mean, that is a fair assessment argument. I'm sure these every one of those guys have seen it. I think even, like, From Ducks Till Dawn, things mm, like that, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, Tarantino and Rob Rod, they've probably seen this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was curious how... I mean, that part had all the tension it needed because I didn't know what Caleb was going to do. Yeah, did you think he was going to off grow when he got him out in the desert? At that point, I was kind of hoping he would because he was finally, like, starting to get accepted by the family. Mm-hmm. And by that Anyone point, and by that point, I was kind of, like, on board with him, like... Well, I guess this is my new life. But here then, it is. This is this is it. But then he couldn't do it, and that was a fuck up. It was because it turns on them. They they hide out in a bungalow. I like the exchange that Henriksen has with the motel manager or whatever. I mean, legit, they've already like accepted their lives as vampires. I kind of don't understand why they didn't fucking kill him for that shit. That should have been it, right? I mean, kind of lucky for them, I guess, that they didn't. Right, 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 right. But typically, that would have been... It's like, yeah, yeah the, what that, the fuck? Now you're done now. Yeah, it's going to come back and bite us. No puns. But yeah, we get that awesome shootout. That's what it kind of leads to. Yeah, the shootout's dope. And, I mean, to be fair, he makes good, and it feels really westerny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except like, all right, kid, you bought some time. Except he actually gets to get shot up and just keep going because he's a vampire. So that's kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Here's something I thought was funny. It was coincidental because last week I brought up the fact that there was a scene in Zombie where the group goes to that Jeep. And I was like, oh, no, it's not going to start up. But it does in that film. And in this film, when Caleb, after he gets bit, goes back to his truck, it won't start up. And that's when he walks back. So it's like, we've just done two films where, one, it goes against the trope of the car not starting, and then this one, <laughs> it sticks to that trope. Right. So I thought it was just kind of funny. I almost forgot to mention, the other thing I really liked about that shootout, I felt like it was a really well done shootout to begin with, but it had a little bit higher stakes because every time a hole got made, oh, yeah. that's more sunlight coming in. Yeah, I mean, even starting off with Bill Paxton like just peeking out, like, mm-hmm. oh, goddamn daylight. That was a really neat shows you twist to put on it. Yeah. Because that usually doesn't happen. It's usually just you're under a fire of bullets. But now it's like, no, like, you can't even move into this area because now it's just going to hurt. Yeah, you're getting closed in by the second. After they got out and shit and we got to settle down some more and they're sort of sitting there and partying a little bit, I had to make note that I kind of really liked when they were playing and Severin got caught cheating. Uh-huh, yeah. And then they just sort of and invalidated the hand. Cause it's my kind of house rules. We used to play that kind of cribbage a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's usually four of us playing. We play teams two versus two. And, and part of the house rules were just everybody fucking cheated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you got caught, usually it just meant that that hand didn't happen. That's awesome. And you just fucking deal and go again. And it was. Yeah, it's but, just funny. And sometimes funny. it was just flat out cheating. And it was whether you actually <laughs> yeah. wanted to like take the time to fucking put shit back in place or not. Wow, like, that's funny. You just have like people telling what the, each other's what their cards are across the board. <laughs> And well, and we'd be getting stupid fucking stone doing it, right? So yeah. sometimes you just wouldn't catch what people were doing. Yeah, because you're all stoned and shit. 
And so there was, <laughs> I think I've counted my crib like three times in one turn before and just gotten three times the points off of it. Damn. <laughs> that's funny. Shit like that. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, when I saw that, I was like, that's my kind of house rules. Everyone's fucking cheating. It's just whether you get caught or not. Yeah. Whether you're willing to put a fucking bullet in their head or not. I think, too, it kind of gives you a, a sense of that, like, the dynamic of the family. Yeah. You know? Which, I could see what you say with Rob Zombie. There's moments in that where you have these moments where they have these family moments, so to speak. And uh, you're, well, kinda, you're not supposed to sympathize with family them. Thing. Yeah, you're not supposed to connect with them, per se, but it happens. <laughs> but what it leads to is Homer goes out. And he runs into uh, Sarah because mm-hmm. she's getting a snack. And she tells him, she said, she said, I do what I want to do when I want to do it. <laughs> like, damn, this little girl. But she gets suckered in because there's color TV. It's like, wow, what a statement to say. Not going to lie. I didn't recognize her as being Sarah until he finally came in and gave her a hug. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit, they got this little girl. What the fuck? Yeah. They're going to make him kill the little girl, aren't they? And when he came and gave her the hug, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's his sister. Oh, shit, that's even more fucked up. Yeah, they, they do kind of uh, entice you with that because it is his family, his dad, and his sister are looking for him. And his little sister, she does give a really good performance in one particular scene where they're at the diner and she's crying because they can't find oh, her yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, that's, that's a pretty that's pretty good yeah. acting. I give her credit. No, yeah, and it wasn't that she was bad. I just was stoned. No, no, no. It wasn't like, oh, it stood out. But I was like, that's actually pretty decent. Because it does lead up to that moment where, you know, you're like, oh, that's fucked up. Because what Homer's doing is when he does learn, he's like, oh, now we got one up on each other. Now we're even Stevens. He spells it out. And like, that's so fucked up. God, well, I mean, you, you can feel... Lonely, horny Homer. little kid. Yeah, I know. It is fucked up, because there's no telling how old he really is, but he's trapped in that kid body, mm-hmm. and that's really the only... Within a certain age group, he can connect with on that level. It's fucked up. And then Dad gets thrown in the mix. Uh, yeah. He's like, I wouldn't do that, Dad. <laughs> Not, <laughs> likely. Do that. <laughs> Not likely. Not <laughs> likely. Oh, that whole exchange was really good. Yeah. Because you could just see how hard the dad was trying, but you know how it's going to turn out just as much as fucking Lance Henriksen's telling him. Yeah, like, squeezes the hand, gives him back the bullet. <laughs> you keep that. <laughs> That's good, but the little girl gets away. They make the escape, Caleb and his family. He tells his dad, he's like, I don't need no goddamn, don't take me to the damn doctors. <laughs> he's like, can they fix that? And no one of the arguments a lot of people make for this film, and it's understandable, is the whole uh, simplicity of just, like, blood transfusion, get the bad stuff out, put the good stuff in. I kind of like that. I mean, yeah. It's simple, but it makes sense. It sounds stupid, so nobody does it, but I kind of liked it, just because nobody else does it, so no, why not? I, there is an authenticity to this film where it does break from the norm or the convention, yeah, and that's fun. That's fine. That's what separates this film. I thought it was weird, but I didn't have a problem. No, I don't have a bone to pick because of that. It's like, okay, it's no big deal. I mean, it makes sense. I will say it's weird. Right, 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 right. It doesn't feel like it should be that easy. <laughs> but, I mean, it works, right? If it works, it works. At least they're consistent with it. Yeah. So this movie, it follows mostly Western tropes. It does. Which makes Lance Henriksen's vampire story kind of on the nose, because a lot of the outlaws in Westerns were former Confederate soldiers. Exactly. So I guess 
I mean, having it so easy to cure vampirism is just kind of like, we lost. Like he said, we lost. Mm -hmm. This is just wiping the last bit of the Confederacy away. I'm not saying the whole movie is a metaphor for the fucking Civil War. No, 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 but but, I mean, he is holding on to something. Yeah, it just, it fits with the structure of the movie with it being more of a Western. Right. To have it be this easy, I guess. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And, And it does follow a certain formula. And that's mm-hmm. another thing I think that's unique to this, too, is it's a blend of telling a horror film through Western tropes and what have mm-hmm. you. Yeah, and, and just the blending of the two is really well done. I mean, that's why it made me think of The Hitcher because of Eric Red, too. Is like it kind of has a certain pacing to it, a certain telling of it, too. There is a love story interwoven in it. And beyond the obvious, just like them killing people horror, mm-hmm. there is that slow horror of the kind of realization that now you have to kill exactly it's like it's not a matter of if you want to you have to you know if you want to be a part of this is she worth it yeah exactly after one night she's probably not (laughs) (laughs) for him it was it was he was sold right but it eventually comes down to them coming back like you said it turns into that western trope where they kidnap the little girl he rides into town mm-hmm. <laughs> on his horse. The whole jackknife incident on the truck plays out. I even like some of the lines that he gives. You have to give him credit. Like The guy's telling me he's going to count to five. He goes, one, two, four, bullseye. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, shit. There's an interesting story that he tells Paxson that is about his makeup for that scene. They said at night there was a train that used to ride by mm-hmm. near that set and... One night they went out and he was in makeup and there was one of the conductors hanging out the side of uh, one of the carts. <laughs> he was waving them down and he said that there was a, a real bad accident <laughs> and he's, he needs help. And he's like, don't worry about me. He's like, he said, you should see what happened to these guys and what they look like. <laughs> he's like, I was all fucked up. But they like to do that. They like to pull pranks. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Henriksen said that he got so into character that he picked up a hitchhiker. He kept fucking with the hitchhiker, making him roll cigarettes and tossing him out. And he said he wanted to see how far he could push the the guy in his character before the guy would break and really think that mm. he had bad intentions. He was going to tell the guy, but I was like, that's kind of wild, man. <laughs> but anyway. The other thing with making the vampires basically just like banded outlaws. Mm-hmm. Usually when we don't see vampires as being... I mean, because usually they're kind of high flute and high society. You know what I mean? Right, there's an aristocracy to them a little bit. We've seen that a lot. Right. When they're not that, then they're usually like apex predators, right? They're stalking their prey, this sort of thing. I felt like this was akin to that, but rather than predators, they're more scavengers. Yeah. And it was just a neat way of looking at another like nature archetype against vampires in a way by making them live the way that they are and being kind of grungy and but not one that's any less scary or less dangerous just different than the hunting stalking predator yeah that's a good point they're just sort of feeding off the underbelly and getting by where they can even though they keep saying they can do whatever they want right for them to go against the trope or the base of what vampires are it's like, you know, it's set in the Southwest. Why would you pick a desert region <laughs> to be a vampire in? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, all that sunlight. Uh, yeah, it's probably not the best choice, but all right. <laughs> but it kind of goes counter to it. 
I don't know. Fuck, I just wish this movie would have been in my life for longer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, once again, for me, like, rewatching this film and paying a little bit more note to it is the use of the soundtrack, like I said, to create that atmosphere. Because it does help with the pacing of the film, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And kind of building a little bit of tension, like you were saying, is like, there is a payoff. Like, this kid can't keep just feeding off of her. He has to make a choice. His out, of course, was getting the transfusion, so he doesn't have to kill. The one thing I think it's interesting, it's kind of, it doesn't get talked about a lot per se, but is when she gets turned, does that erase the fact that she's been a killer for at least X amount of years? Or is <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, now, that's some heavy baggage to tote. Yeah, do they ever hint at how old she is? Not necessarily. I think during one of the, the, the expos, or, you know, some of, conversation she has with him she's recalling the story when homer actually bites her mm-hmm. it's like she was in high school it sounds like he said that he was in fifth grade and needed help with his homework i guess it was alluded that he better or whatever and i want to say i kept thinking it was four years so at least four years if not longer okay so i don't know somewhere in that range so yeah she's pretty contemporary so yeah i, I was just making sure she wasn't like 50 years into killing no i think like i said she's just she still has a, a little bit of humanity in her you know she's Which still thinking about her family and about stuff the ice cream <laughs> yeah yeah it's like she's she's probably still hanging on to certain things that she probably did do mm-hmm. yeah so that makes sense too uh, i ain't too worried for her i mean she's damaged but yeah yeah i think they all are after this shit right but at least i think at this point with the, at least those two is that they can you know they already have this chemistry apparently yeah they can probably work through it he's probably helped her get her humanity back etc so uh, and that now human dick <laughs> yeah it used to be cold now it's warm mama. i know this is probably cliche too but it still needs to be at least argue that this is still a better love story than twilight absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. if you pick this up thinking it was somehow related to twilight because that new cover art no you got the better movie and that's kind of wild man it's like you got the better love story it's a weird cover that they would choose for that but even though he's like come on mama <laughs> yeah, all right i ain't moving this truck till you give me them lips i kind of do like the and ending we're gonna too. see those other lips yeah <laughs> now the ending is a little ambiguous you know you don't know exactly what happens but you know right there's hope there's hope yeah thanks for suggesting this one a few times so that i was like let's do near dark yeah before we close out i do want to note a few uh, things yeah what else Just you a got few things. what else okay. you got so just as a little bit of trivia, right? Because I do feel like this film kind of warrants a little bit. It's interesting to note, once again, that for Catherine Bigelow, this was her first solo effort. So before this, she did the film, I think I mentioned The Loveless, that had Willem Dafoe. Okay, So yeah, she yeah. was like a co-director on it. Okay. And as a part of an agreement for being, I think, in the, the Laurentis group, is that the producers were like, all right, we're going to give you three days, you know, turn in your dailies, and we want to see how this is working. And if it doesn't work out, we're going to look for somebody else to do this. Mm-hmm. And they liked what they saw and they ran with it. So they had confidence. She teamed with, I think said Eric Red, the guy who helped, you know, wrote the script for The Hitcher. But part of the plan was they would write two scripts. They had two specs for two different scripts. Each one of them would direct one of the scripts. And he chose to do a film called Undertow, which came out in 96. Okay. And then, you know, she got this film. Mm-hmm. And at the time, too, she knew James Cameron. They went on to marry each other. And, of course, he directed Aliens. She got some of the cast members, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like I said, Paxton, Henriksen, Goldstein. They were a, a marquee in the film where the guy or the kid's going through town on the, the way to the bus stop, and you can see aliens in the marquee. Oh, yeah. So I there's a little nod why to that. that. Was, oh, I thought that was I kind even of knew the Cameron bit, and I didn't think about it. Right. But. And there's also a billboard with, when I was mentioning James LaGroix and Adrian, if you look at the billboard, there's a little tag that says Bill and Louise. That's Bill Paxton and his wife. I oh, think okay. They were dating at the time, but <laughs> yeah, he, they tagged that. So there's like little things in there. Anyway, um, what I thought was kind of cool about this film is it came out like two, I think two weeks or something, maybe two months after Lost Boys. And you mentioned too, like that's a Joel Schumacher film and it was Warner Brothers. You know, it's like a huge film, especially for our generation. But because the Laurentis was like about to go, they were almost on the brink of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So this film never really got like a lot of marketing or advertising. And this film didn't help that. No, no, no. So, <laughs> but what I think too it was is a like flop at first, it's just so. yeah, it's, it's just a coincidence that two really major '80s vampire films came out within a matter of months of each other. How divergent they are! I really have to rewatch Lost Boys, but I might currently take near dark over it i don't know if i'm willing to take that claim quite yet i really do like near dark a lot it's been it's been too long since right. i've seen boss boys I, to oh man to claim that for sure yeah well we'll eventually get to it but yeah i'm not willing to make to stake a claim quite yet it's been too long for me i'll throw that out with like 55 percent certainty <laughs> right i got just a few more stories and then i'll cut it out all right i mentioned henriksen said that he was getting into character and he wanted to give his character a background and we mentioned, of course, that it was a Confederate because he mentioned that he mm-hmm. fought for the South. They lost. He said, but what in his mind, what he thought was the guy didn't fight for the army. He was a Navy guy. And he said, this is how we turned. So he even gave a backstory of how he turned his character. Oh, I read a little bit of this. This is really cool. like an aquatic vampire. <laughs> so what he said was the ship that he was on was under attack. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was kind of blown to shit, and there were harpies that were feeding, and they drifted their boat or their ship into the marshes. And he said, like, harpies or shadow people were feeding on the dead, and he was in his Confederate garb or whatever, and there was a harpy that had pity on him and offered to turn him, and that's what happened. And, uh, yeah, it kind of evolved from there. Paxson said that his character was... Kind of like that Western character. He wanted to introduce Western slang. Mm-hmm. He said he used to get in a little bit of trouble in Fort Worth, Texas growing up. So he wanted to be a little like that, but also be like a little bit like uh, Billy the Kid and stuff. Okay. Be charismatic. You know, we mentioned he chews up the scene, right? Oh my God. Really awesome. But they all talked about that. Even uh, Jeanette, her character Diamondback, she said that she wanted to be like a little bit of a like a bleach blonde from the Depression era, 1920s. Okay. And she envisioned Homer as like a 1950s Americana kind of upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so she viewed herself as a motherly figure, even though he's older than her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like they each try to bring something, a dynamic to their character that wasn't just flat and okay. try to give it some authenticity. So I thought that was really cool. But it all worked out. Yeah, I think it's just a really cool film overall. Like I said, it's, it's fun to explore. Yeah, I really fucking dug it. It will probably not be too long before I watch it again, actually. I kind of plan on watching it again soon. I, I really dug it. Yeah, it's a good watch. more it's... the second time through. I want to see if it, it only for a third. Like I said, it clocks in like an hour and a half. So it's um, Quick a nice watch. brisk watch. Yeah. yeah. 
we still got to decide for sure on next week. Yeah, I think we have some ideas, but nothing quite solid yet. But to listen in next week and then Midsommar. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. <laughs> with guests mm. for episode 150. Please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. That would be awesome. Also, if you're able to rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that'd be super appreciated. It gets us into the algorithm and does all that good shit so that it just gets the name out there more. Um, you can always go check out the website, www.friedsworms.com. That has the archive there. You can contact us through there or by emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And through the website, you can see that we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. So you can go check me out over on General Nerdery talking about a bunch of nerd shit. Am I missing something? No. Like we say every week too, man. Suggestions, recommendations, or if you need somebody to pimp out your film and need it reviewed, let us know. We're always up for the challenge. Oh, and fried squirms across all the social medias. Yeah. You can find us. We would love to hear from you on there, too. I'm trying to do more on there. Right. I've put up more shit, so we're getting there. Yeah, give us a shout out. We're doing it. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Oh. oh.